So uh, chapter 7 uh, tonight of the book of Exodus. And actually I'm actually going to start, if you, know, if you open up your Bibles, uh, I'm going to open up, uh, I'm going to start off in verse 28 of chapter 6. Because that's, that's technically where, where this next thought starts. You know, again, we mentioned before how, how we're so blessed by these, these chapter and, and verse divisions that, that were added to the Bible later on. You know, and for the most part, they're, they're right on. You know, they, they, they go with the flow of the text, with the flow of the, of, of the theme of the, of, of, the, of the story or the book or the content, content, whatever it is that we're reading. But there is those, those occasions where sometimes, you know, uh, a, chapter, a chapter break uh, starts where, where it shouldn't have. You know, and there's one of those, those instances where uh, chapter 7, verse 1, uh, verse 1 should have actually been... Uh, verse 28 of chapter 6 and we see that, that, that there's this kind of like a, this break in the thought there and so the last couple of weeks as, as we've been uh, uh, stu- studying the, the book of Exodus and the life of, of Moses we've seen uh, God's call on a reluctant man we see this we, 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 we met Moses and we saw that you know uh, uh, he was born under some difficult circumstances we saw that he was uh, a prideful man <laughs> he was very proud. He was very proud in himself and his abilities and who he was and his position and the fact that he was an Egyptian and the fact that he was a Hebrew Egyptian and the fact that he knew that God was going to use him to deliver his people. We've seen this, this man be humbled by God where he was 40 years in his prideful state there in Egypt. The Lord had to take him for 40 years into the wilderness, into the desert to pretty much be a shepherd. You know, now, now he went from the highest position in his in his world to now the lowest position and, and the most uh, 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 humble position in his world and that is uh, to be a shepherd and so and we pick it up we picked it up uh, uh, forty years later now uh, uh, Moses at the at the age of eighty now receiving this call from the Lord to go and, and to fulfill what God had already put in his heart years ago but now in God's timing under God's circumstances with with God's provision and with God's empowering and so often we see that in our lives as well. Even as we were talking earlier, you know, about, about, about the brother that, hey man, uh, man in his heart plans his way, the proverb says, but the Lord directs his step. And sometimes, you know, we get these little thoughts in our head or, or, or these little, you know, these, these little inclinations and we think, nah, that's probably for me. You know, and a lot of times uh, God, put these, God puts these little thoughts in our, in our head. He has to kind of just, you know, he, he plants them in our, in, our, in our hearts, in our minds so that we can start kind of, you know, uh, building ourselves up towards those things. Right? For example, me, when I got saved, I never saw myself in a pastoral position, but, you know, as I was just walking with the Lord, just being just a normal Christian, I always found myself in those pastoral roles, you know, where I would be in, in the middle of an argument or in the middle of a conflict or people would come to me for, for conflict resolution or for advice or for this, that or the other, or even topping the Bible. You know, I, I found myself with a love and a desire and a passion to teach the Bible uh, without wanting a specific title or role. And, and, and little did I know. That, that, that God was just putting that, those desires in my heart because he was going to raise me up to his position. I know he's still doing a work in me. I'm not saying that I'm there yet. But what I'm saying is that God sometimes puts these little thoughts in our hearts or these little desires or these little kind of visions, you could call them, you know, in our hearts. And, and it's because he wants us to grow in our walks towards those things. But yet God wants us to do it in, in his timing, in his abilities, in his provisions, in his, in his, his strengths. And so for sure, Moses had this, this thought in the back of his mind that, hey, God's going to use me to deliver my people. You know, but it just wasn't the way he thought it was going to be. You know, God was going to do it in God's time, in God's ways, with God's provisions, in God's strength. And so we pick it up now. We saw that, that, that God called Moses. He sent him to, to, to go speak to Pharaoh and to give him a message, which is, let my people go so they can worship me. And we saw that, that, that Pharaoh said right away, he said, no way, man, the people are lazy. That's why they want a, they want a three-day vacation. There's no way I'm going to let them go. And you could go and, and tell us to your God because I don't know who the Lord is. And, and who is the Lord that I shall be his name? 
Right? And so we pick it up here in verse uh, 28 of chapter 6. And it says, And it came to pass on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh heed me? And uh, verse 1 to 7, it says, So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I, sh- when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And so again, now this is uh, the second time now that, that, that God is, is, is commissioning Moses to go speak to Pharaoh. Remember, the first time he sent him, it didn't go well. Uh, Moses came back kind of complaining towards the Lord. Lord, why did you even send me? Why did you even call me? Lord, why did you even... Uh, uh, Lord, I, I, I was happy in there in the wilderness doing my own thing. Why did you even call me to Pharaoh to just kind of crush me? Right? Because if you guys remember there in the previous chapter, as, as, as Moses, went, Moses and Aaron went to go speak to Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh's response was, was a harsh one. Instead, he multiplied the burdens on the people. And the elders of the people went to go speak to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, hey man, it's Moses and Aaron's fault. They came out and now Moses, his own people were, were, were hating on him saying, man, why'd you even come over here, man? Why'd you even bother us, right? And so we see that now this is, this is a God's second commission to Moses to go speak to Pharaoh, right? And we see that, 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 that God is, is, very, is being very specific in Moses' call. You know, earlier on in the chapter uh, when Moses went to go speak, speak to Pharaoh, what did Pharaoh say? He says, he said, who is the Lord that I shall obey his voice, right? Uh, the Egyptians had multitudes of gods, Right? And none of them were the one true God. None of them were Yahweh. None of them were the God of the Hebrews. They didn't know this God. And so now uh, God is sending Moses as, as his own spokesperson. Right? But uh, Pharaoh was asking, who's God that I shall obey him? Well, now God is saying, Moses, you're going you're gonna to be as God to Pharaoh. Meaning, you're going to be my representative to Pharaoh. You know? and, and, and Aaron, he's going to be your spokesperson or your prophet. Right? And, 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 and I like that because that's a perfect picture of, of how God uses us in the world as well. You know, that we don't have to have a specific title. We don't have to have, to have a specific ministry role. But just being saved, man, just being a Christian, just being, you know, born again. Now we're God's spokesperson uh, to a dying world, you know, to a world that, that doesn't know Him. Right? I mean, I have uh, a lot of buddies at work that, that, you know, don't know the Lord. or They have some type of, you know, concept of Christianity. And, and, and to them, I'm like... I, I, I don't mean this like in a blasphemous way, you know, but I'm like, I'm like God to them, like just how, 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 how Moses was God to Pharaoh, meaning that God was, that Moses was his spokesperson. And it's like, well, I'm at work, I'm God's spokesperson. Why? Because I'm setting the example, I'm trying to pour into these guys, I'm trying to love on them, I'm trying to, you know, serve them by, by, by my actions, my words, my deeds, my time, right? And in that, you know, they're going to see God through me. It's been well said. You know, that, that all of us, you know, so, someone said this one time, and I, and, I, and, I, and I heard this one time, and I loved it. You know, it really, spoke, it really stuck with me, and it spoke with me. Yeah, someone said, you might be the only Bible anyone ever reads, right? A lot of people may never pick up the Bible and read it, but they'll read you through your actions, through your words, through, you know, your deeds, through whatever, through your everyday life, right? And, and so this was Moses. You know, Moses was, was, God's, was, was God to Pharaoh, right? And all of us are, 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 are God's word, you know, or God or are an example of Christians, are Christ. To an, an unbelieving world, right? Again, that, that, that old quote, you might be the Bible, the only Bible anyone ever reads. And so we see that, that as God is, is commissioning him again, 
you know, he tells him, right? He says, look, I'm going to speak to you. You're going to tell Moses, uh, you're going to tell Aaron to go. He says, he says and you're going to speak all that I command to you. Notice that, all that I command to you. Now it's heavy. That's heavy because again, keep in mind that, that, that they're going before not just any ordinary person. You know, they're going before who is right now at the, at the time the most uh, powerful man in the world. You know, the, the, the Pharaoh of Egypt. And he's saying, all right, you know, he's telling Moses, you make sure that you say every single thing that I tell you to say. You know, don't, don't leave out any words. Don't add to my words, but say everything that I command you. Right? And so us too, when the Lord calls us, hey man, when I'm up here on the pulpit and, and, and I have to read through a, through a heavy verse and I have to teach on a heavy verse, the ones that, that people don't normally talk about, the ones that are controversial in the world, the ones that are controversial even in the church. Hey man, that's what God tells us. He says, make sure you say everything that I command you. Right? And so just like we study the word, just like uh, I'm teaching the word, say, man, I have to go through every single one of God's words. Right? Even the, the, the hard ones to understand, even the ones that, that you know, may rub people the wrong way. Why? Because it's God's word. And, and, and us as God's voice, us as God's spokespersons, that, that's all we're doing is that we're speaking for God. Right? God is speaking through us. You know, I'm not putting God, words in God's mouth. and it, it, We're just a mouthpiece, you know, a broken mouthpiece at that. And so Moses and Aaron were going to be God's spokesperson uh, to, the, to the Pharaoh. And he says this, he says, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders. We went over this a couple of weeks ago. You know how there's very... Uh, there's many verses, you know, and, and concerning this, this hardening of Pharaoh's heart, right? And, some, and someone can make the argument of, hey, man, what's, God's not fair because he hardened Pharaoh's heart. You know, so how was Pharaoh supposed to believe in the first place? The guy never stood a chance, right? If God already, already hardened his heart from, from the beginning of time, if he predestined, you know, uh, Pharaoh to not believe, then, then how is it Pharaoh's fault, you know, that, that, that he didn't believe? But we mentioned how it was two Hebrew words for hardening. When it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart, it's that Pharaoh made a, a conscious decision in his, in, his, in his mind and in his heart to, to reject God's, uh, God's word. And when it says that, that, God, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, you know, the Hebrew word for it is meaning that, 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 that God put his stamp of approval on, 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 or God confirmed this hardened heart of Pharaoh. And so we see that, that, that God is saying, all right, I'm going to confirm Pharaoh's hardened heart. He says, and I will multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel. I love this. Uh, I love this about the Lord, and because um, no, he calls he calls the, the children of Israel. He calls them my armies and my people. But yet they've been in, in captivity for about four hundred years. They've been slaves for a long time. These guys have never seen battle. They've never they never done a war. Uh, they don't know how to yield a sword. They don't know how to how to, how to strategically go onto the field and you know and, and follow a commander's orders. They've never been in a war. They never they've never been in a, in a battle. They've never been in a conflict with an opposing nation or an opposing army. But yet God is calling them my armies and my people, the children of Israel. Now we're going to see that a couple books later, once they enter the the promised land, they're in the book of Joshua. We're going to see that they're going to become a, a literal army. Right? And they're going to be, uh, and they're going to be led by, by Joshua, the commander, you know, of the army. But really, they're going to be led by the Lord. But it's awesome because at this point, man, these guys don't know how to fight. They're not warriors, right? They're, they've been in bondage the whole time. If they were an army, they would have revolted against the, the Egyptians. But yet, God is calling them my army. And, and 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 I mean, I just love this because, again, God calls us, you know, not for who we are, but who we, who. Not who, for who we are now, but for who we have the potential to be. All right? God doesn't... God, God sees beyond, beyond the now. You know? God sees the finished product. And that's why many times God calls us to a thing. We're like, Lord, how can I? How, you know what? In the beginning of the book, Moses, what was Moses' response? Lord, not me. 
I can't speak, I'm a slow, slow tongue in speech. Uh, he started giving him all these excuses, right? And what did God say? Hey, look, I'm sending you. I'm the one that's sending you. Why? Because God sees the finished product. And when he calls us, we may think, man, I'm not worthy. I'm not like those guys. I can't speak like those guys. I don't have a, a, a story like those guys. But, but God calls us, you know, based on, 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 who, on who he saw that we already have become. Right? God sees the past, the present, and the, and the future. He's outside of time. Right? And so when he calls us, he calls us, it's seen already, you know, our, the finished product. That's how he sees us, the finished product. Even in, the, in, in terms of redemption. Right? When God calls us, he, when God sees us, when God calls us, right, he sees us now as forgiven, as righteous. Even though we still mess up, even though I have to repent of my sins, man, 20 times a day, you know, every day because of how many times I mess up a day. Right? But, but, but when God sees us, he doesn't see us for our, our mess ups today. He sees us for the finished work of Christ on the cross. And so I, I, as I was reading this, you know, I just I, I had to make a little note on it because I loved it. You know, God says, hey, it's, it's my people. It's just my armies. Right, my, my, my soldiers, but yet they were slaves for 400 years. Crazy. And he says, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And so we see that, that this whole, you know, that, that the plagues that, that, that God is about to bring on the nation of Israel and, and, and through Moses, they had a purpose. And the purpose went beyond just punishing Pharaoh for being a bad guy. It went beyond just punishing the nation of, uh, of Egypt for being you know, a, a corrupt nation. It went beyond just delivering his people. It went beyond you know, all these things that, 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 that we look at on the surface. But we see that the, really the purpose behind these plagues that we're about to read about and these things that came upon Egypt were this right here in verse 5. He says, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Again, Pharaoh was asking there in the, uh, a couple of chapters ago, he says, who is the Lord that I shall obey his voice? Right? I've never heard of this Lord. I've never heard of Yahweh. I've never heard of the God of the Hebrews. He says, who is this God that I should obey him? What's he to me? You know, why should I obey him? Right? Why should I bow my will to his? Who is he that I should obey him? Who is he, who is he that I should serve him? Now God's saying, amen, through these plagues, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Now, interesting that uh, we have a story there in Joshua uh, chapter 2, verses 10 to 11. I'm going to go ahead and read it for you. But in, jo- in the, the book of Joshua records for us uh, the children of Israel finally uh, uh, inheriting the promised land uh, after 40 years of, of wandering in the wilderness. And as they, the story goes out, as they, as they inherit the promised land, they walk into, into uh, the land of Canaan and they're going to overtake the city Jericho. And as they walk into the city, we're told that, 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 uh, that the nation of Israel sent two spies to go into the city. right? And, and, and as these two guys went to go spy at the land and see, all right, let's see you know, what it's like. To go give back a report, we're told that there was a woman uh, by the name of Rahab who saw the spies and she hid them in her house, you know, because the rest of the people, the rest of the, the, the fighting guys, they saw them. They heard the report that there were some, some Hebrew uh, spies there in the land and they wanted to kill them. And so what Rahab did uh, later on is that, is that she hid these spies in her house and she says this there in uh, Joshua uh, 2.10. She says, uh, she says, for we have heard. So we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did, did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, this is 40 years afterwards. This is 40 years after the account that we're reading right now. So 40 years after the, after the plagues and 40 years after, the, after uh, 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 God led the children of Israel through the Red Sea and part of the sea for them. Here's Rahab there in, in Canaan, not, not even in Egypt, in another land in Canaan. You know, telling these two Hebrew spies, man, we've heard of what the God, well, of, of what the God of the Hebrews has done for you. We've heard of what God did to the 
Egyptians. Man, we heard of, of, of how God is fighting on your behalf. And so we see that, that the purpose in, in God of bringing these plagues in, into Egypt was not just so that Pharaoh could know who he is, not just so that the Egyptians could know who he is, but also so that everyone throughout the history of time and even the people around him could know who the Lord God is. Right? And so even 40 years later, they were still talking about this incident. We have a, an incident there in 1 Samuel, I believe, you know, where I believe it's the, the Amorites or the Amalekites, they bring up the, the, they bring up the fact that, 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 that God delivered the, the Hebrew people from Egypt. And that's like some 400 years after this incident. And so we see that, man, people talked about it for a long time. We're talking about it today. Right? And so God's purpose in bringing those, those plagues, man, it's being fulfilled even today. That we know that, hey, that, that God is a God who is able to deliver his people. Right? And so it goes on to say there in verse 6, it says, Then Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded them. So they did. And Moses was 80 years old and Abram, and Aaron sorry, was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. And so we see that, that Aaron was his big brother. He was three years older than, than, uh, than, than, than Moses. You know, but Moses wasn't that young. He was, he was 80 years old. And so Aaron was 83 years old. And so they were 80 and 83 years old when they, when they spoke to Pharaoh. Man, what does that tell us? <laughs> that there's no retirement in ministry, right? And that there's no age limit. And we could begin to, to argue, oh yeah, well, people lived a, you know, way longer back then. And, and Moses is still going to live another 40 years, you know, and then he's going to die. And, you know, so he's lived like around a total of 120 years. But I mean, still, I mean, uh, 80 you know, um, 80 is, it's, it's already more than half, than uh, uh, half of 120. And so it's like, I mean, he's, he's at a good ripe old age, right? But yet, it was at this ripe old age that God called him. And so for us, man, there's no, there's no age limit, you know, and God calls, God calls to do his work whenever, right? I know, uh, the, 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 I used to know this brother from, from Norwalk. He was from, he was from, I think he was from San Jose Springs and he used to go visit at, at Norwalk. And for his whole life, you know, he was just, uh, he was, uh, he was uh, uh, an electrician in the union. And he was just going to church, serving God there in his local church. And it wasn't until he retired from the union that, uh, from the union that he went full time into ministry, and he became a, uh, he became a chaplain for uh, for for camp for for uh, Central Juvenile Hall right here, right? But it wasn't until until he retired that like he retired. And he said, "You know what? I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve the Lord full time." He had been walking with the Lord for years and years and years, but yet it never came into his heart to want to just serve the Lord full time. All of a sudden, he was retarded, and, and the Lord put this in his heart where he's like, hey, man, you know what? I'm going to go serve those kids over there at Central Juvenile Hall. So he became one of the chaplains, and, and that, that's all he did, man, full time. would just serve the kids over there, teach Bible studies, you know, pour into these kids. But it wasn't until he was retired. He was very young, and, and he was up there in age. But he's like, man, you know what? God's not done with me yet. You know, he couldn't just be at home and watch TV and enjoy his, his, his retirement. Right? He'd enjoy his pension. He, wanted, he knew that God wasn't done with his life yet. Right? We have a perfect example of Pastor Lyle. You know, he, Man, the guy just, I see that guy and I get encouraged, man. I'm tired. I could be tired and from the whole week, from the whole day, whatever. I see him going. I'm like, all right. It's like I get refreshed by seeing him just walk with the Lord, right, in his, in, in his good old, ripe old age. And he says, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve the Lord till my last breath. You know, I love that because God is still using him, right? He's the guy who I text almost every day. Hey, well, I have a question about this, this, that, or the other. Hey, what do you think about this? Hey, him, this, that, or the other. Hey, let's get some coffee and talk about this, that, and the other. It's like, man, God is, still, God is using him in my life and, and, and the lives of, of many other men, right? And so we see that for God, hey, there's no retirement in ministry. You know, God can use us if we're willing until the very last breath. And so it goes on to say there in verse 8, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, 
When Pharaoh speaks to you saying, show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and they did so just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. So the magicians of Egypt, uh, so the magicians of Egypt, they also did in the like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. And so what's going on? Remember, keep in mind that at this point, you know, uh, uh, God is speaking to Pharaoh through Moses, who, who in turn is speaking through Aaron, because again, Moses is giving that excuse, hey man, I'm not eloquent. So he's using his brother. Later on down the line, we're not, we're not going to hear about Aaron being in the scene anymore. Later on, Moses is going to go directly to, to Pharaoh. Right? And, and it's awesome that, that we get to see kind of this, this man's faith just kind of progress. You know, and, and we see that God's will is just being developed in his life, you know, just step by step. As he's just obeying the Lord step by step. We see that God's will for our life is a progressive revelation. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is that, you know, sometimes we pray. I pray this all the time. Lord, just show me your will. Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Yeah, and, and God will almost, I want to say never, you know, but I'll say hardly ever show us the big picture. But what he will show you is the next little step. And as you take the next little step, God will take the next little step. And as you take the next little step, then God will show you the next little step. And it's like God's will for your life is revealed in a progressive revelation. You know, it's, as you're walking with him, as you're taking that next step of faith, he shows you the next step. He's never going to show you, you know, everything all at once. Maybe because we'd be overwhelmed. You know, maybe because we think, man, there's no way that can happen. And we get discouraged. We don't know why. But we see that, that, that God shows his will in our lives in just this step-by-step progressive Revelation, And we see this kind of uh, play out in Moses' life. As, you know, in the beginning he started off with, there's no way I can't go. I'm not eloquent this and the other. Then he says, I just don't want to go. And he says, all right, send Aaron with me. He'll speak for me. And then next, you know, he's going uh, up to Pharaoh with, 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 with no, you know, with, with no hesitancy. He's not going back to God and saying, Lord, what is this? Lord, what is that? No, God says, all right, go and say this. All right, Lord. Hey, go and do this. All right, Lord. Hey, go and this. All right, Lord. All right, and we see him just mature in his, in his walk with the Lord. Amazing. And so we see that as the Lord commissions them to go to Pharaoh, uh, he gives instructions for Aaron to throw down his rod. You guys remember that, 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 that Moses had a rod when he met uh, with the Lord there, there in the desert. And, and as he threw down his rod, it turned to a serpent. And now God's saying, all right, do that. But, uh, uh, he says, uh, um, do that again, but do it in the, in the presence of Pharaoh. And so we're told that Moses and Aaron, as it went before Pharaoh, we're told that Aaron threw down his rod and he became a serpent. Now you would think, like, man, that, that should be enough to, to scare you and think, all right, man, something's going on here. Right, but what, what Pharaoh did is that he called in his sorcerers, his sorcerers and his magicians, the wise men, what's, what's known as the wise men of Egypt. And they came and, and, and they threw down their rods also, and their rods also turned into serpents. But we're told that, that Aaron's rod uh, devoured their serpents. You know, amazing because this is like such a picture of, of the world, man, such a, such a picture of, of, of Satan. Because Satan is a great duplicator. You know, he, he's, he's a great uh, counterfeiter. Uh, he's never an originator. He's never, you know, he, but he also wants to corrupt. He, he, all he could do is corrupt something that God has already created. You know, uh, Satan can't create. He can only corrupt what's, what's, already, uh, what's already created, right? And so we see that as these magicians come in, you know, they throw, they, they throw down their rods and their rods also become serpents, right? And because of this, because, Moses, because Pharaoh sees that his, that his magicians can do the same thing or they have the same power, you know, it says that his heart grew hard. Now, it wasn't that, that these guys had the same power because even just as 
as, uh, as Aaron's rod, we see that Aaron's rod ate their, their rods, ate their serpents. Right? This is God just displaying his, his sovereignty you know, over, and his power over these magicians. And we're going to see that in the beginning, that these magicians, that they're going to duplicate some of, some of the miracles. They're going to duplicate some of the plagues. But after like the, the, the third, after like about the, the, the second or third plague, uh, they're going to get to a point where, man, they just can't duplicate anymore because it's just too much. Right? The power of God is, it can't be duplicated. It can't be, it can't, it can't be counterfeited. Right? And we're, we're going to see that the, the first ones, they're going to duplicate them. But after that, they, hey man, their arms are too short to box with God. They can't keep up. Right now, interesting that, that here in these in these verses, you know, we're told that, that, that Pharaoh calls these wise men, right, the sorcerers, the, the magicians, and in spe- and specifically that there were like the two lead wise men, or the two lead sorcerers and magicians. Now, the Bible here in the Old Testament, and just in this account, and uh, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, uh, the Bible doesn't give us the names of, of, of these two men. Um, the only the only place that that mentions these names. Is actually in the New Testament uh, by Paul. Uh, and Paul actually mentions the names of these two guys, and he calls them uh, Janis and Jambres. And so uh, the the Bible doesn't doesn't mention their names uh, except for what Paul says in Second Timothy. Uh, but we do have their names in another Jewish writing called the Talmud, which is uh, like a commentary of, of, of the Law of Moses, uh, the commentary on the five books on the Pentateuch, on Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But we see that, that Paul in the New Testament, he makes a reference to these two guys. And he makes a reference to, to this specific instance. And he says this in 2 Timothy 3.8. I'll read it for you. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.8. So in 2 Timothy 3.8, uh, 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 Paul actually gives us the, the names of these two magicians that, uh, uh, that, that, that Pharaoh calls. And he says this in 2 Timothy 3.8. He says... Well, I'll start from five. He says, Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who, who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led down by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then he says this in verse eight, Paul. He says, Now as Jannes and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was, talking about Janus and, and Jambres. And so we see that in the New Testament, Paul makes a reference uh, to this instance here. You know, when, when Moses and Aaron went before Pharaoh, they did the, 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 the whole rod into a serpent thing, then two magicians came, and they did the same thing, right? And so Paul makes a reference to this, guys, into this, into this instance. And, and Paul, as he's writing to, to, to young Timothy, this is uh, Paul's last letter that, that, that he wrote there from Rome right before he was beheaded. And as he was writing to this young pastor Timothy, you know, he gives him a warning. And, and in this specific section, Paul is warning Timothy of, of false prophets. Right? Of false prophets that, 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 that were going to creep into the church. And of just, uh, he said, he calls them disapproved workers. You know, guys who were in it for themselves. Guys who were in it for, for the wrong motives. He says, hey, he says, hey man, uh, watch out, Timothy, for these guys who are going to creep up with the wrong motives in the church. And he, and he says this, he says, as Janis and Jambres resisted Moses, so these specific type of people, so these false prophets, so these guys who are in it for themselves uh, also resist the truth. Because they're men of corrupt minds, they're disapproved concerning the faith. He says, but they will progress no further. For their folly, meaning like their foolishness, will be manifest to all, just as Janus and Jambres' uh, foolishness was manifest to all. And so we'll see that in the book of Exodus again. There in the beginning, Janus and Jambres, the sorcerers and the magicians, they were able to duplicate, to duplicate these, 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 uh, these plagues. 
But they're going to get to a point where, you know, where Pharaoh himself and all the people of, of, of Egypt are going to recognize, man, you guys have no power. These guys are just fools. And it's God who has real power. It's God who, who has power over Egypt, who has power over, over our gods, who has power over the Pharaoh, and who has power over, over our land. Right? And these magicians, they're known as the wise men of Israel, meaning like they're like Pharaoh's counselors, right? the top of the top, the smartest of the smartest. Their, their foolishness is going to be exposed to all, to, to, uh, to all of Egypt. And Paul is saying, hey man, these false prophets that creep into the church, these guys who are in it with their, with their own motives, he's saying, man, just like Janice and Jambres were exposed, guys like that who come into the church you know, with, with, uh, with false motives, with bad motives, with you know, selfish ambitions, they'll be exposed as well. Right? That's pretty heavy. That's pretty heavy, man, that people relate to these two guys. And so it goes on to say, And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. Heavy. It goes on to say in verse 14, So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water, and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand. And you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. And so thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the, the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish uh, that are in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. And we, see, we get now to... To what's the first plague, you know, that, 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 that God is going to bring upon the nation of Israel. And, and the first plague was just this turning of, of the water into blood. And so we see that as, as God calls Moses to go down there to show Pharaoh, right, this is going to be the first of the signs. You know, the first of a warning. You know, we're going to see uh, ten of them. We're going to see nine of them. The last one is going to be not so much a plague, but just a, uh, a curse, right, a consequence for, for, for Pharaoh's hardening of his heart. Right, and we're going to see that, that his firstborn son is actually going to die as a result of Pharaoh's hardened heart towards the Lord. But we see now the first of these plagues that are going to come upon uh, Egypt. And so we see that, that, that the Lord called Moses and he said, All right, take your rod and, and uh, you go with Aaron and take your rod and stretch out your rod over all the fresh water of Egypt. And as you stretch out your water over all the fresh water, uh, it's going to turn into blood. And it says, he says, and the fish that are in the rivers will die and the rivers will stink and the Egyptians will, will loathe to drink the water of the rivers. As, as we continue reading through, these, uh, through all these plagues, you know, they might seem kind of random. All right, the water turning into blood, uh, frogs coming upon the people, lice coming upon the people, uh, their, their livestock's dying. Um, you know, uh, 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 there's going to be an instance where, where, the, where their houses are going to be covered in flies. All these kind of just seemingly random things. But we see that what God's doing is that God is, attack, is attacking, every, with every one of those plagues, God is attacking a, uh, an Egyptian deity. And what I mean by that is that uh, the Egyptians, to, to a certain extent, held these specific animals or these specific you know, uh, locations as gods. Like, um, the Egyptians believed that, 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 that the river Nile was a god, and then that there was a, a god over the river Nile, and that he was the one who was responsible for watering their crops, and he was the one who was responsible for making it rain, and he was the one that, that was responsible for their, for their fruitful seasons and their, and their unfruitful seasons, so they would sacrifice uh, to, to this god of the Nile. And so what, what God is doing now in bringing this plague over the, over the fresh water and over the, the, the Nile River is that God is saying, look, man, he says, your God is nothing. He says, God, the Lord God Almighty is God over the river Nile. He's, he's God over this, this, over this God that you have over, the, over the, the river Nile. 
And so God is kind of just eliminating their, their, their Egyptian gods one by one by one. He's attacking their deities. He's, he's attacking their source of, of strength. He's attacking their source of comfort. He's uh, attacking their source of security, right? Because these are the things that, 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 that Egypt is, is priding themselves in. Denial, our gods, our livestock, our firstborn, our this, this, that, and the other, our many gods. And God's coming and saying, look, man, I'm going to break down every single idol. I'm going to destroy every single idol in Egypt until you recognize that there is one true God in heaven who rules and reigns. And that is the God of the Hebrews. And you have to let my people go. So he's, he's going to attack every single one of their idols until finally he recognizes that. Now, just imagine, I mean, we could easily just read through this. right? But man, just imagine the, the smell that would have been in all the land of Egypt. I don't know if you guys have ever seen pictures of, of the Nile River, but it's huge. right? And it would have been even bigger there in, in, in these times, you know, before global warming. Just kidding. <laughs> Climate change. No. That, that's big. That's big. But uh, I mean, just imagine. You know, I mean, over the passage of time, you know, I mean, this this river would have been at its at its fullest. You know, now just imagine that this huge body of water, of water just turns into blood, and, and all of a sudden you have all kinds of dead fish just floating in the water for for days. I don't know if you have ever been around dead fish, but they stink. Now this isn't just one. You know, but there's hundreds of dead fish that are just floating there in the river. Keep in mind that the people they're they're living off the river. You know, this river it, it had little canals that that would water their crops. Every single thing, you know, in Egypt, you know, depended on this river. And all of a sudden, God is just cutting off their, their main water supply. No fresh water. Everything is blood. And all the animals, all the fish in the water are dying. Where are they going to get their food from? Where are they going to get their fresh water from? Man, I don't know, if, you, know that, you know, that feeling you get when you're thirsty, when you haven't drank something all day and it's super hot. You just want a bottle of water, even if it's warm. Like, man, imagine going through that for about seven days. They're like, dude, we just want some, some water to drink. Right? And so again, what God is doing is that He's crushing their pride, He's crushing their, 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 their resources. He says this in verse 19. He says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, and He said, Say to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt. So not just the, the Nile River, but all the waters. He says, Over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, and over all their pools of water, that they, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and in pitchers of stone. So there was not one drop of fresh water in all of Egypt for the Egyptians. Everything was turned into blood. And that's heavy. Dude, I, you know, you know, have you ever got a big cut or something and you're just bleeding, you know, how, how the blood gets all coagulated and it gets all sticky and it gets all nasty, right? And I mean, just a few seconds when it dries up, it's, it's, just, it's super sticky. Just imagine that like all over the place. You go for a drink of water, oh man, it's blood. That nasty uh, taste of iron, man, you go to, to, you go to take a bath, man, it's blood. You go to, oh, you, you, have, you have your reserve there, some pitchers and some buckets of water there in the cabinet. You open them up, man, it's all blood. It, it would have been like a horrible scene, right? It would have looked like a huge massacre there in Egypt. And it says, in then verse 20, and Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Man, what a mess. These guys are just covered in blood. They can't wash their clothes. They can't wash their hands. They can't wash their faces. They can't take a bath. They can't, they can't drink the water. They're just, it's blood everywhere. It's, it's, it's a mess. It's a mess. And verse 22. Then the magicians of Egypt uh, did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink. 
because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. So, so, so what happens is that, is that as this is going on in Egypt, what does Pharaoh do? Instead of saying, all right, Moses, uh, I give up. All right, Moses, uh, who's your God? I want to know your God. Or instead of saying, all right, God of the Hebrews, God of Moses, I give up. You know, I, I recognize that you're real. No, but instead he turns to his own magicians. And, and he, he does the same thing as he did with the, with the, with the, with the rods. He's all right. Uh, he tells them, do you guys know what's going on with this? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure, look, we could do the same thing. And we're told that the magicians... I mean, it's kind of stupid. You know, instead of them, instead of them turning the water back, and instead of them turning the blood back into water, they turn more blood, more water into into blood. Like you would think, man, you know, I mean, that's not really doing anything, you know. But again, Satan, Satan cannot create. You know, he can just duplicate. He can just counterfeit, but he can't create, right? And so these guys are like, you know, Satan's little minions, I guess. You know, and these guys, you know, instead of reversing what God did, amen, they can't touch God, right? They can't touch what God did. So instead of reversing what God did and turning the blood back into water. All they could just do is turn more water into blood. That's it, man. And, but we see that, that Pharaoh, as he sees this go on, as he sees, that, as he sees his magicians do the same thing, it says that his heart grew even harder by this. It says neither was, was his heart moved by this. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. So man, uh, Pharaoh didn't let this go on for a day, two days, three days. Uh, it says that the seven days went on before, before, uh, uh, before the next plague. So man, here's Pharaoh... Letting his people die for sure. You know, man, people are, are dying without fresh water. Letting his people suffer. What we're seeing here is just, a, it's a prideful man. You know, that he would rather put his pride, you know, his pride before before the people that, that he's serving. He would rather put his pride before, you know, the, the safety and the well-being of, of all the Egyptians. Right? Instead, he's saying, no way, I'm not going to bow, bow down to God. No way, I'm not going to obey God. No way, I'm not going to listen to your God. I, I would rather let my whole nation starve and, 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 and you know, and... and Go uh, dehydrated and, and whatnot Than to obey God And to listen to God And so we're told that after seven days had passed Chapter 8 says this says, And the Lord spoke to Moses Now we're going to see the second plague The Lord spoke to Moses and he said Go to Pharaoh and say to him Thus says the Lord Let my people go that they may serve me But if you, refru- if you refuse to let them go Behold I will smite all your territory with frogs So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly Which shall go up and, and come into your house and into your bedroom, onto your bed, into the houses of your servants, and on your people, into your ovens, into your kneading bowls, and the frogs shall come up on you, on your people, and on all your servants. Now again, what God is doing is that He's attacking another one of the Egyptian deities. And the Egyptians, they had this, uh, this, this female goddess, you know, in their hieroglyphic, I mean, stuff that's been dug up by archaeologists. You know, there's hieroglyphics. I forgot the name of this, uh, of this female goddess of the Egyptians, but she was portrayed as with the head of a frog. Go figure. I mean, you know, but but they had they had this this Egyptian goddess that were that was portrayed with, with the, as as a head uh, with the head of a frog. And so for for the Egyptians, it was it was a uh, it was illegal to kill a frog, you know, because they they, they held them up like as deities. You know, it's like many places in India, you can't kill cows. You know, there's certain places in India where you go and you can't kill cows, even though the people are starving, even though there's nothing to eat. You know, you see cows walking around. They're all skinny and stuff, you know, but you see them walking around, but yet they won't kill the cows for food, for hamburgers, right? Because uh, they, they hold them up to, 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 a certain, uh, to, 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 to a certain level, you know, as deity. And so this kind of similar here in Egypt, you know, is that they, they had these frogs and, and, and they, they esteemed them, you know, in, in some way as, as, a, as, a, as a god, right? as a form of deity. And so what God is doing, he says, all right, man, he says, you guys want to worship these gods? All right, I'm going to give you frogs until, until you're sick of them, you know, until, uh, until, until you're, you're dead tired of them. 
And so we see that the Lord made frogs appear in their houses, in their bedrooms, in their beds, uh, in the houses of their servants, um, in their ovens, in their kneading bowls. It, they were just all over the place. Um, along with that, man, you could just imagine the smell of these frogs. I don't know if you've ever been around frogs. Um, when I was in Colombia for those four months, uh, I remember that, that, that when it would rain, uh, uh, we would get toads. We'd be showering. I don't know how. I mean, we used to stay on the second story. And I don't know how the toads would somehow end up in the shower. We'd be showering. All of a sudden, you look in the corner and there's this big old toad going like this. I'm like, oh, it seems creepy. We'd go into the bedroom. All of a sudden, you, you could just smell it. I'm like, man, there's a toad in here. You look and it's under the bed or it's, it's somewhere in the corner under, under all the clothes. And you're thinking, man, how are these things getting in here? Like, they were just, man, they, were, they were so annoying. You could just imagine hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these things everywhere. You, you, you want to cook something? Ah, oh, man, there's frogs in there. And you, you're, you're, you're needing some dough? Ah, oh, man, the frogs, the frogs got into the dough. You, you want to just get some rest from all the craziness that's going on around the world? You lay down, man, dude, your bed is covered with, with frogs. Like, it would have just drove them insane. And verse 5 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, and he said, Say to, your, to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. Man, these guys, instead of, again, here they go again, duplicating the same miracle. Instead of, you know, uh, all right, making the frogs go away, or instead of you know, making them disappear, you know, uh, Pharaoh calls the magicians again, once again for the third time, and he says, all right, can you guys do anything about this? And they're like, yeah, we could bring more frogs upon the people, <laughs> right? They couldn't reverse it. You know, what, what God had done, you know, they couldn't touch. They couldn't reverse it, but what they could do is they could duplicate or they could uh, counterfeit it. And so what, that's what they did. He says that the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. That's what they needed, more frogs. And so verse 8 says, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, all right, he says, entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. So you may think, man, all right, cool. When we see the Pharaoh, he's budging now. All right, all of a sudden, God's getting his attention. He's, he's going to budge. So it goes on to say in verse 9, And Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor of saying, When I shall intercede for you, for your servants, and for your people to destroy the frogs from you and from your houses, that they may remain in the river only. And so we see that, that Moses is kind of making a deal with, with, with Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells Moses, all right, just, just pray to your God you know, and, 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 and tell God that's it. I give up. I'll, I'll let the people go sacrifice. And Moses says, all right, you know, I'm going to go talk to God for you, but you just got to accept it. You know, I'm not, not going to get rid of all the frogs, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'll make you a deal. You know, just just agree, agree with me that the frogs are going to go back into the river and, and you know, we'll get rid of them that way. And so we're told that uh, then in verse 10, he said, so he said, tomorrow... And he said, let it be according to your word, and you, that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from you, from your houses, from your servants, and from your people. They shall remain in the river only. And then Moses and Aaron went out from the Pharaoh, and, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died. So they died out of the houses out of the courtyards and out of the fields, they gathered them together in heaps and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart even more and did not heed them as the Lord had said. Man, this is crazy. I mean, I'm, are you guys picturing this in your mind? I mean, here's the river, there's no water, everything's blood. All of a sudden there's these frogs coming out of the river. Keep in mind that the river's blood. So these, there's these bloody frogs croaking around everywhere. You know, all of a sudden they're just, they're, they're everywhere in their beds and their houses and their stoves and everything, you know, 
Uh, Pharaoh says, all right, pray, pray to God. You know, and, and, these, and these frogs die. They're, they're piling them up. And when it says that, that they're piling them up in heaps, it wasn't just you know, three or four frogs. I mean, they're piling up in huge heaps of just dead frogs. Oh, man. I mean, we've all smelled dead carcasses before, right? An animal or on the road or a possum or a dead dog or something. It stinks. You know, and here's just these piles and piles and piles of dead frogs all over Egypt, still, you know, blood all over the place. And, and, and what, is, what does Pharaoh do? He says that the moment he saw that there was some relief, he hardened his heart even more and did not heed them as the Lord has said. So he took about his reason. You know what? Never mind. Never mind. It wasn't that bad. And, and sometimes, you know, that happens in our lives as well. And that the Lord, not that he brings these things upon us, you know, but, but he allows us to go through certain things that, that trouble us. He allows us to, to go through to, to, to certain things that sometimes even may hurt us. You know, God allows us to go through certain things, you know, that, that, that are going to get us to the point that we recognize that we need his help. Right? That we can't do it on our own. Lord, I need your help. I'm... I'm I'm messing up big time. Things are out of my control. I can't do anything about this. Right? And it's like, and, and it's like we get to a point where we finally reach out to God. And, and the, the moment that, that He answers us, you know, we feel some type of relief. And, and we're prone, you know, we're prone to just say, oh, you never mind, God. I got it. You know, at first I thought I needed your help, but never mind. It's all good. Right? As soon as we, we feel some, some sort of relief from the, from the situation, it's like, all right, you know what? I'm good. I got this. Right? And we see this a lot, that sometimes it happens in our lives, it happens in my life, you know, sometimes it happens in the lives of, of those that, that we love around us, you know, that we're praying from, Lord, just get a hold of life. And, and sometimes we pray, Lord, do whatever you see fit, you know, in their life in order for them to come to you. Whether that's, you know, that they get in trouble, whether that's this, that, or the other, Lord, even if they, if they have to get hurt, Lord, in order for them to just hum, be humble, I'll be honest, man, that's something that I pray for my little sister, my Lord. You know what she's up to, Lord. You know what she's getting involved in. And I'm like, Lord, even if she has to, you know, Lord, hurt a little. And Lord, whatever it takes, you know, in order for her to just recognize that she needs your help. You know, not that God's going to force her, but, you know, it's like sometimes that's what it takes. That's what it took in my life, not, not because I didn't come to God, because I was fearful that God's going to punish me. But no, because God allowed the circumstances to get so great, so severe, that I recognized, man, I have no control over my life. You know, I have absolutely no, no control of my life. There has to be someone who can, who, who, who can, who can help me with my life. And that's when I turned to God and I realized, man, God is sovereign, right? He created life. He could, you know, he, he, could, he, he, he could help me. And so sometimes we pray these things. You know, I pray this for, for certain people, you know, who I love. I say, Lord, just do whatever you see fit in their lives. You know, even if it has to hurt a little bit. And so for Pharaoh, it was hurting. But as soon as he felt a little bit of relief, he's like, oh, you never mind. <laughs> I was wrong. You know, I, I got this. And so we're told that he changed his mind. And so now we get to the third plague, the plague of lies. It says, So the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land, so that it may become lies throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with, with his rod and struck the dust of the earth, and it became lice on man and on beasts, well, on, men and on the people and on the animals. All the dust of the land of Egypt became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Imagine that. It says all the dust of the land of Egypt you know, became lice throughout all the land. All the dust. Imagine how many lice there were. If it was equated to, to, to the dust in Egypt. Man, just, oh, I've got goosebumps just thinking about it. And just, uh, just hundreds and hundreds of, of, of lice. And it says, uh, now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice. Look at these guys, man. But they could not. So there, so there were lice on man and on beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. 
But Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. So once again, you know, here comes the enemy trying to, to uh, duplicate, trying to counterfeit, you know, this act of God. But it got to the point where there was a man, we can't, and we can't keep up with God. They said, ah, this is too much. And, and so even, so Pharaoh now has these magicians, his top magicians, his top wise men, you know, his top sorcerers saying, this is the finger of God. So it's like they're telling Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I think, I think they're trying to tell you something. Pharaoh, I think you should listen. Pharaoh, I think you should, you should give up. Right? So even they're recognizing it. They're, they're feeling the sting of this. It says, but Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. And so we see that the Lord's going to bring out another plague. The fourth plague, which is the plague of, fly, of flies. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Then say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. In order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land and I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this will, be a sign, this will be a sign. And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into the servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God in the land. So now this, this fourth plague, the Lord causes these flies, these swarms of flies to come upon the land of Egypt. You know, but notice that this plague is different than, than, the, other plague, than the other plagues. Why? Because, because the Lord says something. He says, I will set apart the land of Goshen, which is where, where the people of Israel were living in. He says, uh, he says, so that no swarms of flies shall be there. Why? He says, in order that you may know that I am the Lord God in the midst of the land of, 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 of Israel. He says, I will make a difference between my people and your people. And so what God is doing, man, is he's drawing that, 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 that dividing line. You know, and, and so God is not only just bringing these plagues upon all the land of Egypt, you know, but he's he, he's separating his people now from this. You know, and he's keeping his people from these things that are that are, that are that are about to happen now. And this is awesome because this is kind of consistent with the rest of Scripture, right? There's this big debate, you know, as far as like the the, the last days is uh, the end, the tribulation period, and you know the pre-tribulation rapture or the post-tribulation rapture. Some people believe that that, that God is going to let his people go through the tribulation, suffer all these things that a Christ-rejecting uh, uh, world is going to suffer through. But we see that it's not consistent with Scripture. We see that, that, that all throughout Scripture, just like uh, in the story of Noah, we saw that, that whenever you know, destruction came upon the, the earth as a form of judgment on an unbelieving and Christ-rejecting world, we see that God always preserved His people. It's not that He kept them from all trials and tribulation, because Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, because I will overcome the world. So it's not that God is, is going to preserve us from all kinds of hardship in the, in the world. No, we're going to experience hardship. But we're not going to experience the same, we're not going to experience the wrath of God on an unbelieving world, you know, along with the rest of the world. God really allows us to go through that. Right? We see a picture of that in Noah as, as a, while the flood came upon the whole world that rejected God, who was saved? Those who trusted in God and Noah and his family. Right? We see that uh, uh, there's, there's just many, many instances in scripture of that. And there's one of them. Then now we see that God is making a separation between his people and the Egyptians. Not that God hated the Egyptians, because we're going to see later on that as the nation of Israel, uh, as they're exiting from, from Egypt, we're going to see also that, that the Lord is going to give them a command for all the strangers that are with them. 
And so that tells us that a lot of the Egyptians, as they saw these plagues go on, and as they saw the Lord deliver His people, and as, he, as, he, as they saw the people of, 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 of Israel uh, leaving Egypt, they went with them. They said, man, no way. I'm not going to stay here. After I just witnessed God's, uh, God's powerful hand come upon us, I'm not going to stay here and serve these gods, right? They're, they're, not, they're no gods. They saw, they saw with their own eyes. They saw that, that the gods that they had been serving all their lives, that, that they were nothing compared to the one true God. And so they, they decided to, to go along with the people of Israel. They, 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 they forsook their, their Egyptian roots, their, 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 their nation. And they went along with the, with the nation of Israel to serve God Almighty. And so it's not that God hated the Egyptians and he was going to just cause all this to fall upon the Egyptians. But we see that God is making just the division between his people and those who are not. Right? And so... Up until this point, they were... Part of the whole place and everything, the Goshen. Up, up until this point, I was affecting the whole land. So even even the even the Hebrews were, were feeling the sting of it. But now it's like, right, man, saying I'm gonna make this this distinction. And so it says there in verse 26. So finally, Pharaoh said, "All right, go sacrifice to your God in the land." Verse 26. And Moses said, "It is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then will they not stone us?" We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as He, uh, as He will command us. So, what's going on here? You know, if, if, we, if you blink, you miss. So, this is the the, the first of many uh, compromises that the Pharaoh is going to offer uh, Moses and and, and, the, and the Hebrew people. Notice that there in verse twenty-five, what it says is, "Go sacrifice to your God in the land." And when it says in the land, he's talking about in the land of Egypt. And so, remember that that that, that first one, God sent Moses. What are you talking right? Go tell Pharaoh to let, to let my people go three days journey into the wilderness to sacrifice unto me. Not in Egypt, not in Goshen, even though Goshen was in Egypt and it was where, where, the, where the Hebrews were living. But no, God is calling them out of Egypt to go sacrifice to him. And so what does Pharaoh do? He says, all right, all right, Moses, I give up. That's it. He says, he says go and sacrifice to your people in the land. Stay in Egypt, but you go sacrifice to your God, but stay in Egypt. And, and I mean, man, you would think that after all that, after all these years, and after seeing how hard Pharaoh's heart was, you would think that, that, that Moses would be, would be like, man, that's a good deal. You know, all right, cool. You know, I'll compromise. I'll meet you down the middle, right? But no, he didn't. He didn't budge, right? Because cause God gave him strict orders. He said, no, you're not going to sacrifice, sacrifice in Egypt. You're going to sacrifice in the place where I'm calling you to. And so Moses says, no way. He says, we can't. He says, uh, he says but we're going to go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord of God over there where he's going to command us to. And so Pharaoh said, I will let you go. He says, all right. So then kind of negotiating, he says, all right. He says, I'll let you go. That you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall go, you shall not go very far away. He says, and, he says, and intercede for me. So he says, all right, I'll let you go. Just, just stay close. So don't go too far. And while you're out there, just pray for me. And so we see again, this, the second of those compromises. He says, all right, fine. Leave Egypt, but don't go too far. Stay close. Stay close. Right? And then Moses said, Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people Go, and we'll stop right there, man. So we see again just this uh, this progressive uh, hardening of Pharaoh's heart, you know. And, and really, what what God is doing in bringing all these plagues is again is that He's crushing the Egyptian gods, and He's giving Pharaoh himself an opportunity to recognize, man, God, you're the one true God. All these gods that I has, that I had placed my faith in, 
they're nothing. You know, where are they, where are they, where are they, at? Where are they at now? They didn't show up for me. They didn't back me up. They didn't deliver me. You know, they didn't deliver my people. Where are they at now? This is a, a perfect opportunity for Pharaoh to say, you know what? Man, I've been serving the wrong God. Right? And it's just amazing to see, you know, what, what, what pride sometimes does in our lives. You know, where we, we have committed our lives to a certain thing, and it's like we're going to serve it until, un, 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 until we die, even if we know we're wrong. When we were going to Bible college, we had, we had a, a, a class on cult and apologetics, and, and one of our assignments was to, was to go talk to somebody in a cult. You know, and, and, and you know, we had a whole list of questions to ask them. And one of the questions, one of the last questions was, was uh, to the person in the cult, was uh, if you found out that, 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 your, that your religion or your belief was wrong, would you still be in it? Would you still follow it? And 100% of the people that I spoke to said, yeah, I would. Right, because they're just so dedicated to, to, to this. Even if they find out that it's false, it's like they're, not, they're, they're just so stuck on this belief. They're saying, man, no way. Even if we knew it was false, we're not, we're not changing our minds. We're going to continue doing this. We see the stubbornness of man, right? The stubbornness of, of just our flesh, right? Where Pharaoh, he's seen his little gods being crushed right before his eyes. He's seen the hand of God. Where even now his magicians are saying, man, this is the finger of God Almighty, the one true God. So you better listen, Pharaoh. He's saying, no way. Man, the stubbornness of our heart. Again, and, and, and Paul warns us of that, of that, uh, of that hardening of, of our hearts, right? And Paul there in the book of Romans and, and elsewhere in the New Testament, you know, in Hebrews even, he says, uh, he says, uh, 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 take heed, you know, lest, let, let, lest our hearts be hard, become hard. You know, when the Lord is trying to say something to us, when the Lord is trying to minister to us, when the Lord is trying to do something in our lives, and we, we get to the point where we say, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And, and what's, what's happening is that you're developing, you're developing this callous over your heart. You know, God's desiring to speak to you. God's desiring to do something with you. But we, we reject, we reject, we reject. You know, and we get to a point where we just become hard on the outside to the point where, man, I can't even hear God anymore. Right? And, and we're, we're warned against, against these things, you know. And we're, we're encouraged to have a soft and hard towards, towards, towards God's voice, towards God's inclination, towards God's leading of the Holy Spirit. And so that's my encouragement for all of us tonight. You know, as we read about this super stubborn man, uh, Pharaoh, He's gonna die in Egypt. You know, he's gonna die with a hardened heart. You know, God gave him an opportunity to repent. You know, but he, but he's, he's gonna die with a hardened heart. But that wasn't the case for all the Egyptians. You know, again, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of them did follow, did follow the, the Hebrews. A lot of them did leave Egypt. You know, they chose to serve the one true God. Right, and so God's salvation is offered freely to all of us. You know, and my encouragement to all of us is like, hey man, let's be sensitive to 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 what the Lord is desiring to do in our lives. You know, let's not grow this heart and heart you know, towards, towards the things of God. It's not like God's going to cast us away and kill us and all stuff like that. Like, I'm not trying to say that. Because you know, God wouldn't do that to us because you know, we belong to Him. But we, can, we can get to a point on our end where we're just, you know, hey man, we got so many things blocking us from hearing the Word of God, you know, from hearing God's voice. We get to that point. And my encouragement is like, hey man, let's, let's destroy all those things, man. Let's, let's break down that wall. That's whatever it is that's hindering us from hearing God clearly. Amen? Amen. Father,